0: The word of God that comes to us today is from St. Paul, who says this. The will of God for you is your sanctification. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What I said to you, the word of God that comes to us, God's will, is your sanctification. That's just different, isn't it? Who talks like that? We ought to, but do we? It's different. Paul is writing to a group of people who are changed, who are now going to live a different reality. Uh, this is the word that comes to, a letter that comes to the church in Thessalonica. Uh, it's in Greece, uh, Macedonia, northern Greece. And Paul shows up and things change because he brings a message. So we're going to look at your bulletin where it's First Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to give you a background. Who is he talking to? And then I want you to think, is, is this anything like us here in America today? I think it might be. In Acts chapter 16, uh, Paul had gone to uh, a couple of other cities, and then he ends up going to a, another town called Thessalonica. And as he always does, he wants to spread the message of Jesus. It's, it is good news. And so his job is to tell people about it. He starts always at the synagogue. So he goes there, and uh, this is what, what Luke writes in Acts chapter 17. Paul went in to the synagogue, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. And this is what he said. He was explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. So that's his message. It's necessary. The Christ has to suffer, has to rise from the dead. That's the gist. And then he goes on and says this, and then he was saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Right? So that's the message. There is a Christ. He must suffer. He must rise to the dead. And let me tell you, he must rise from the dead. Let me tell you who he is, Jesus. Now, this seems like it's a little thing that's happening in a synagogue somewhere. It's just kind of for those ultra-religious people, the Jews and maybe ones who want to be Jewish. It's like, in this room, how many of you want to be Amish? or ultra-conservative. You want to be cloistered by yourself out in a corner somewhere. Not a lot of us. Most of us live a daily life. So this is not just something that's cloistered out in the corner. It had an impact. It says this, that a few of the Jews, some of the Jews, the Jewish people, believed it. And it also says that also a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. So here's a whole group of people that beforehand probably weren't united on anything. The leading women of the city, uh, many devout men, and a whole bunch of Jewish people who spent time at the synagogue. Well, they believed it, but not everyone liked it. So there was some opposition, and, and it says this. So just, just think about this for a minute. It says, uh, the Jews were jealous, that is the ones who didn't believe, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd, all right? So uh, they go to this guy's house, Jason. By the way, that's, that's a Greek or a, maybe a pagan name, but now he's a brother. They go to his house to get Paul and Silas out to throw them to the mob, right? Uh, it's like the summer of 2020, right? It's a mess. And it says, when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting this, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also saying that there is another king, Jesus. Is what they said true? Yeah, they come telling the truth. These men, Paul and Silas and the the others with him, they come here and they've turned the world upside down. Nothing is the same after this message. And they say there's another king. And it's not Caesar. right? That would be like us saying there's a brand new government in town. There are all of the uh, all the red tape agencies are gone. You know, all whatever you want to do to to throw society in an uproar. It's just a message that can't just be like, well, yeah, it's a nice little thing that happened in Palestine. No, there's another king, Jesus. And this king Jesus has is Lord. He is above Caesar, right? this is, this is uh, it's hard to explain this to you, but it's think of the highest person in the world that you know, <clears throat> maybe that's. Maybe that's Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Elon Musk or whoever it is. Someone super rich and powerful. And it's coming along and saying, well, that guy is, he's not in charge. He doesn't have anything. He's a nobody, right? He has to bow before another king. Who says that? Who says to Elon Musk, you better bow before another king because you're not it? Or before Joe Biden says, bow before another king. This is fighting words, right? Are you tracking with me? Okay, so... Paul gets run out of town because that's not a popular message. There's still Christians there. Paul is worried about them. Uh, And so later he sends back Timothy to to check on them and to encourage them and to wonder: do you guys still have faith? You know, did they drive it out of you? Did they persecute you to death? And so now we come to our text in, in in the bulletin, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And the previous chapter, Paul says, Now we live, in other words, we rejoice because. Uh, He says, you are standing fast in the Lord. So they still have faith, right? An amazing transformation has happened to them. So Paul will go on and say this. He says, okay, Um, after reminding them who they are, what God has done for them, he writes these words that are printed in your bulletin. Finally, brothers, we ask, and this would include sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. So just think of what I read before. There is another king, Jesus. Does that matter? In Paul's mind, does it matter? Yes. It should impact how we live today, right? If you think America is going to be uh, gone in six months, you will probably start preparing for something else, right? It's the same idea. The fact that Jesus is Lord has an impact on daily life. And that's what Paul says. What you've learned, keep doing it, right? Right? You've run 10 miles, run 16 more. Keep it up. And he says this, For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. And then he says this word that's hard. It's not in our daily language. This is the will of God for you. You ever wonder what that might be? Should I take this job? Should I uh, marry this person? Should I move to that place? Those things we don't really know all the answers to, but... We do know something about the will of God right here. This is the will of God for you. Your, everybody, sanctification. Everyone say sanctification. It even hurts to say that word, doesn't it? Because you know what it means. You know what it means because you aren't it yet. You aren't living a sanctified life. Well, back up. Sancta is just the word for holy. The process of holiness has not happened for you yet. You're not there yet, right? So saying that it's God's will that you live a sanctified life kind of hurts. So Timothy just came back from visiting them, and he tells Paul what's going on. And then Paul says, I'm so glad about your faith, your faith, your hope, your love. You guys are doing awesome. Everyone has seen how you turned back to God. But let me just say, in this area, this is God's will for you. It's something that you're missing. And for them, we might say it's the sixth commandment. Uh, Let's read it. It says, this is the will of God for you your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That word there is one word in Greek. It's the word porneia, and it means a lot of things. Whatever you can imagine, it means that and more. Paul is including a lot of things here. This is the will of God for you, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So this is only one of the Ten Commandments, right? And he goes on and describes what it might look like for them to abstain from that. And this is why it's different. I'll, I'll explain. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his, his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. So he's choosing one of the things. Is this the only thing it means to live a sanctified life? Of course not. Of course not. But does it mean that? It includes that, yeah. So the sixth commandment, it says, uh, at least in the... the the Lutheran reckoning of it and other groups, uh, you shall not commit adultery, right? You should be faithful uh, either as a single person and live a chaste life, or you should be faithful as a married person and live a chaste life. These are old words. These are old concepts. We've brushed them under the rug, right? Is this a problem in America? Is this a problem in this church? Probably, yeah. We are... Uh, we are still in this body, right? So this is where Paul says here, it is God's will that... So think for a moment. Like, um, Let me just back up a second and think. ask this question. If people knew everything you did and thought, would they describe it as, as Paul does, honorable? Honorable means you'd like everyone to know about it. How are you doing with that commandment? I think we all fall short. Well, let's look at other commandments just so that we can get past this and think of what Paul wants for, to accomplish with us today, what God, the Holy Spirit wants to accomplish. Think of, we won't look at the first three commandments. You shall have no other gods and uh, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day. I'll come back to those in a minute. But the fourth commandment, you shall honor your father and mother. Right, this is a commandment where you are, um, you are showing respect and you are serving those around you, right? How are we doing with, uh, let's see what it says. It says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from disrespect, if we just change it to the fourth commandment. It's God's will that you do not live a life of disrespect toward authorities. Anyone in here hate the government? Okay. I know you're all like, yes or Yes. But almost everyone is like raising their hands. And the things about government that are not of the people, by the people, and for the people, right? You hate it. And that's only one area of life where there's authority above you, right? I can't tell you how many times I had junk vehicles at at my undergraduate and I would park somewhere I wasn't supposed to and get a boot on my my wheel of my truck and raged within, or a parking ticket from the, the city of Chicago. I read the sign, sign right, and the traffic policeman didn't, right? I was, anyway, moving on. <laughs> so I think we all have a problem with respecting those in authority. Well, what about the fifth commandment? You shall not murder. Jesus says if you, if you hate anyone in your heart, you've murdered them. So as Paul says here, it's the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from temper. That's how you all doing with that one. It's the will of God that you abstain from a raging temper, hating people in your heart. All right, just soak on that one. I don't know. We already talked about the sixth commandment. It's God's will that we abstain from sexual immorality. The seventh commandment, uh, you shall not steal. It is God's will, your sanctification, that you abstain from maybe greed, greed, it's God's will that your wallet is honorable, that everything in your wallet, if someone were to look at it, they would say, that's honorable. That is really good. That is God's will. I don't know how you're doing with that. I, Melissa and I had a pretty deep heart-to-heart yesterday about where all the money is going. It's going to groceries, by the way, just so you all know. <laughs> a lot of dollars. These kids eat a lot, which is great. Keep eating. It is great. I love it. Anyway, um, if your wallet was laid bare, would that be honorable? people commend you for that? That's God's will that it would be. Well, the eighth commandment is uh, you shall not, um, uh, you shall not uh, basically lie, right? So it's, this has to do with our mouth. This is God's will for you, that you abstain from telling lies, that you abstain from saying things that are not true, that you abstain from putting the worst construction on things with your mouth. How are you all doing with that one? Right? And the last one, the last two commandments, the way we reckon them is, you shall not covet. This is more a heart issue, right? It has nothing to do with the things on the outside, but the things on the inside. Our wanter, it's God's will for you, your sanctification, that you abstain from a heart set on things it ought not. Okay? So we've gone through the commandments, and I think we're all, um, instead of jumping the hurdles, like we're getting our heads cut off, right? None of us are achieving where we ought to, Right? Maybe it's just me. Is it just me? I just did this like examination of my life, and I see every area fall short. Maybe you weren't listening, or maybe you can see yourself in these. It's God's will. It gets worse and better. Let's take a look. It, it, Paul goes on. This is verse, verse 6. Well, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. All right, so Paul isn't just saying, well, it's no big deal. He says the Lord is an avenger of these things, these things that you aren't doing right. The Lord is an avenger. Right? It Except in, I think it's Psalm 94, that the Lord takes vengeance. It says it even in the Gospel, 2 Corinthians 5, it says that we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. God is an avenger of these things that we just say, it's no big deal, right? This is this is hard-hitting. It's not something we should take flippantly. So what is our hope? Let's take a look. It says, God is the avenger of these things. Verse 7, look at this. Take a look. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So, where is our hope? If we disregard this, we disregard God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Where is the hope? If we disregard this, we disregard God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Where is the hope? It's a broken record. Where is the hope? I said it three times. God, yes, he is an avenger, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Is that good? Is the Holy Spirit holy? Yes. What does the Holy Spirit do? He makes us holy, and he does it in two ways. And this, dear brothers and sisters, we need to cling to with all our hearts. The first thing that the Holy Spirit does is he brings us to Jesus. He brings Jesus to us. This is what we read in Revelation uh, that Dave read. Thank you, Dave. It says of those who have come out of the Great Tribulation, those who have been made A part of God's eternal kingdom. It says that they have washed their robes. All right, they're in. Somehow, they've gotten clean forever. They've washed their robes and made them white, unlike the feelings that we're feeling when we look at the commandments that we don't keep. Those who have gone through have washed their robes and made them white. Y'all want that? Y'all need that? Yeah. So how do they do it? Thank God for these six words in the blood of the Lamb. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And it's not them doing it, it is the Holy Spirit who has done this. 1 Corinthians 6 talks about all the things we just talked about, all those ways that we go wrong. It says, but that is not, that is how some of you were, but you were washed. You were sanctified, you were justified in the, spirit of, in the name of Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit has come to take the blood of Jesus Christ, a rabbi who died 2,000 years ago on a cross on a Friday afternoon, but he's not any old rabbi. He's the Son of God, God himself. It is the blood of God that the Holy Spirit brings to wash us. So today I wear this robe, and eternally we all will wear robes of righteousness washed in the blood of the Lamb. So that's what that's what the Holy Spirit does. He knows where we are, and he calls us to repent. Uh, we don't claim the 95 theses as like, yeah, this is, uh, this is like God's word, but last week we celebrated the Reformation. And the very first theses in the, the 95 theses that wrote, Luther wrote up was this. When, when our Lord Jesus Christ, and this is Luther nailing it on the door, when our Lord Jesus Christ said, repent, he meant it as, a daily dying, a daily act of repentance. I don't have the words right, but it was a daily thing. The Holy Spirit calls us to repent daily, every day. When you wake up, brothers and sisters, remember, I am baptized. Lord, turn my heart back to you. Help me to walk as you would have me walk. He brings Jesus to us. The second thing that the Holy Spirit does is he brings Jesus through us. First, he brings Jesus to us to, to cleanse us, to give us a clean conscience. And then he brings Jesus through us. That's what Paul is getting at here. In fact, one of the words is the word where we get uh, pragmatic or practically. In this matter, it's like practically live a holy life. Will living a holy life get you to heaven? Your best efforts? No. Right? But having been washed by the blood of the Lamb, we can now, as Paul says in Romans 6, we can walk in newness of life. So he brings Jesus through us. And so in this daily repentance, we can pray now, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He can then let the fruit of the Spirit live through us, right? The Holy Spirit himself living in us to, to live out what he would want us to, to live out. The fruit of the Spirit is not our fruit. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, you all know this? Love, joy, help me out, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, and faithfulness, and self-control, and I got the order wrong. But you all forgive me. Thank you. That's Galatians chapter, chapter 5 and 6. Read that as well. And then he brings Jesus through us, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not our own efforts. It's as we remain. Remember Jesus said, I am the vine, and you are the branches? Whoever remains in me will bear much fruit. So how do we bear fruit? Stay in Jesus. Stay. Keep believing. And then Paul says elsewhere, Ephesians chapter 2, I'll just read this because, as we conclude, because of the Reformation, it's a good reminder. For by grace, this is Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result to work, so that no one may boast. For we, now are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Dear brothers and sisters, it's God's will for you to live a sanctified life. That doesn't have to be a word that's obscure. Change it. Make it more updated. Holy. Set apart. Right. Call it what you want. God has called you to it. He brings you to Jesus so that you have it. And he brings Jesus through you so you can bless others with it. In the name of Jesus, amen.